0: The prominent theme in our readings today is the idea of keeping vigil. Our first reading speaks of those who watch for wisdom, that those who watch for her, who seek her, will perceive her. Whoever watches for her at dawn shall not be disappointed, and whoever for her sake keeps vigil shall quickly be free from care. In the psalm, there's a little line in there about how the psalmist stays awake at night, To meditate on God, so to keep vigil means to uh, stay awake and attentive, usually during the night hours when you would normally be sleeping. So, as children, maybe there's certain special occasions we get to stay up late, maybe Christmas, so so much excitement for the holiday. Maybe New Year's. I remember New Year's. You know, we got to stay awake till midnight. And I think some parents cop out now and they call it the New York New Year's and you stay away to see that, and you go to sleep at nine. It doesn't really count, though. Um. There's different occasions, though, where you might be keeping vigil. Maybe you're a parent of a teenager, and it's 11 o'clock, and they haven't come home yet, and they're not responding to their texts. Maybe you're caring for someone who is sick or disabled at home and has certain needs that have to be attended to even during the night hours. You might keep watch if you're... Keep you know some some kind of security, whether officially as a security guard or some other capacity, to uh, to look out for threats. In my home, Paris, they had perpetual adoration. That is, there is people that are keeping watch of the Lord in the Eucharist, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It requires a lot of people who commit to an hour a week. And actually, for many years, my parents committed to and attended. Uh, Mondays from midnight to 2 a.m. Mondays from midnight to 2 a.m., they would go and pray in the the chapel with the Blessed Sacrament. Occasionally, I would substitute for them. And I have to confess, sometimes I would nod off a little bit, kind of sleep during that time. So there's these different reasons for keeping vigil. Possible danger, care, love, excitement. So Jesus tells us a story about 10 women, 10 virgins, who are keeping vigil. I'm going to share with you now the the common interpretation of the early theologians of the church. We call them the church fathers. They say that the 10 virgins represent the church collectively, and some within the church are wise, and some are foolish. And they are waiting for the bridegroom, who is Jesus. They are waiting to enter the wedding banquet, which is... The consummation of the kingdom of God, the union of the soul with God. Now, at the end of the parable, Jesus tells us we have to stay awake, but notice all ten virgins get drowsy and fall asleep, right? So the church fathers say that that represents death. Oftentimes we see in scripture that sleep is a symbol of death, right? So death will come to us all, whether wise or foolish. Then they're awakened by the announcement that the Bridegroom is coming shortly. Now what's the difference between the wise and the foolish virgins? The wise ones have enough oil for their lamp, and the foolish do not. The lamp, the vessel, signifies faith. They all have faith. The oil signifies love. So the five foolish virgins are lacking in love. Love of God and love of neighbor, which is expressed both in sincere prayer and in good works, works of charity. St. James in his epistle wrote that faith without works is dead. A lamp without oil is useless. Jesus said to let your light shine before men so they might see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. So. The door then is locked, and the foolish virgins cannot enter. And the bridegroom says to them, I do not know you. Previously in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says those very words about in another situation. He says at the end, many will come saying, Lord, Lord, but they will not be let in. And God will say to them, depart from me. I do not know you, you evil doers. You do not do the will of my Father in heaven. I do not know you. Well, God knows everyone. Jesus knows everyone. What, is, what does that mean? There's another sense of knowledge, which is a sense of personal, relational experience. Right? And this explains something that troubles us about the story because the ones who have oil are asked to share with the others and they say, no, we can't give it to you, Right? But when we understand, right, that, uh, that there is a, 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 our response to God, so God's grace is given to us, our response in love to God is deeply a personal thing. And people can help us with their example, they can help us with their prayers, but fundamentally, it is something only that we can do and choose. The oil and the flame of the lit lamp signify... The Spirit of God. Those are common symbols for the Spirit of God. The love that God has poured into our hearts, but that we must receive. We must receive that. We must cooperate with that. Love as a flame. Jesus says that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. Has your love grown cold? Many times, we have a, a, a powerful conversion experience, even as, as adults, where for a while, it's just easy, you know? You want to pray, uh, you want to help people, you get involved in ministries, you know? You find it, it's just easy. It's like there's this extra, extra grace that you get. But inevitably, over time, it doesn't remain that way, right? There are times that God, in His wisdom where we have spiritual dryness and we have a difficulty in persevering. Has your love grown cold? Is your flame still burning? Is your lamp leaking oil? Sometimes it's just laziness. Over time we get lazy and don't do those spiritual practices that help to keep that flame burning. Sometimes it's accumulated disappointments and resentments. We have not had a forgiving heart. Sometimes it's simply worldliness. We just become much more interested and involved in things that don't really matter much to God. So we need to regularly examine our consciences. A nightly examine is good. Certainly at least a monthly confession to make recourse to that. We need to persevere in prayer even when we don't feel like praying. You know, it's those times of spiritual dryness when it's not easy for us, when we, are, when we just simply have to choose, choose the good of the other, choose to pray when we don't feel like it. I believe it is those times we'll look back on at our judgment with God, and we'll see that was the most virtuous, that was the most pleasing to God. Many of us have heard of St. Vincent de Paul because there's many charities that carry his name. He was a French Catholic priest, he lived from 1581 to 1660 and he's now known as the Apostle of Charity. But he didn't start out that way. He was ordained at a very young age, at the age of 19. And his approach to priesthood was was as a career. This was going to be a way for him to make money, to retire early and provide for his family members. And actually his conversion was a gradual conversion over many years. He had made himself chaplain to a wealthy family. That was a way that he could make some extra money. But one of the family members on his deathbed made such a beautiful confession and actually said to him, Father Vincent, if you hadn't come here, I'm sure I would have ended up in hell. That made a deep impression on him. He started realizing that what I'm doing really matters, it matters for eternity. I got to start taking this seriously. He's assigned as a pastor of a parish. And shortly before Sunday Mass, someone rushes up to him. You may know I do not like being bothered right before Mass, because I want to get ready for Mass. Uh, But someone tells him about something terrible that happened to one of the parish families, illness that struck many family members, and how they were uh, left in great need and, and destitute. So he actually, during the homily, shares about that situation. And You know what happened right after Mass? A bunch of prisoners went over and rendered them help. And this was the beginning of him organizing in a much bigger way uh, works of mercy and charity to help those who are poor and in need. November is a month where we are asked to focus on what are called the last things. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell, and purgatory. And we began that, right, with the Feasts of All Saints and All Souls, um, we have, we're going to have a series of readings that are about judgment. They're about either the end of time the end of our lives. Right? This is the first of a series of readings that we're going to have about that. Right? Yesterday, I was giving a retreat for parents of first communicants, or the ones who are beginning the program, and I, I just wanted to, I wanted to kind of throw in a heavy icebreaker there. I had them in groups, they were talking, introducing each other. I said, okay, now, close your eyes. Imagine you're at your funeral. Uh, So imagine you're at a church, and there's people there you recognize, but they're older than they are now. It's your funeral. What would you want them to say about you? Uh, And uh, they quickly switched from this icebreaker. It was uncomfortable, I think. I noticed them just a couple minutes later talking about other things. Um, But it's important for us to think about that. May the flame of God's love burn more brightly in us so that when it is our time to fall asleep, We will awaken to see the bridegroom and enter the eternal wedding feast.